Before we begin, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon his word and upon this service. Father, it's in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that we approach you this morning. It's by him and through him and to him all things are. And we're grateful that we have this access to the very throne upon which you are seated. Describe for us in very, very dynamic images of how wonderful and beautiful your throne is in glory. And we come, Lord, and humbly bow before you and ask, O oh Lord God, that you would, in this particular service, honor your name. Your word declares that you are holy and declares that you are righteous, you are mighty, you are all-knowing and all-sustaining of all that there is, for without you there was nothing made that was made. And we ask, O oh Lord, that as we come to this particular message that our eyes would be opened to your glory, our hearts would be prepared to receive your instruction, and then, O oh Lord, our lives would be dynamically changed so that we would worship you. I thank you for these that are here this morning. Praise you, Father, that even though some of them, I'm sure, do not feel on top of the world, their illnesses maybe have caught up with them, and I, I ask, O oh Lord God, that you would ease their time. Thank you for those who could not be with us this morning, but are remembering us. They may be on beds of affliction, or they may be away traveling. I pray, O oh God, for your watch, care, and hand of blessing upon them. May your word speak loudly, Lord, and may this particular voice that is speaking your word, may you use it, Lord, even in its weaknesses for your honor and glory. And for these things, we will praise you and again thank you through the finished work of our Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. The last particular passage that deals with somewhat of a Christmas theme is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, it's, it's not listed as being the last, but it is listed in Matthew's writings as being in Matthew's second chapter, verses 1 to 12. We're going to be dealing with Kings. We're going to know we're going to be dealing with magi, wise men. And it is in their pursuit of coming to see, coming to behold, he who was born king of the Jews, that we find ourselves again in a, if you will, a Christmas theme. In respect of the Word of God and the God who wrote the Word, let's stand together as 
we read this particular passage. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold frankincense and myrrh then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed for their own country another way turn around and greet those and say have a happy new year Call it, if you will, a, a pet peeve of mine, but the back of my, the hair on the back of my neck bristles when I see a manger scene and there are wise men there. That's from tradition. Matthew has a different view of that. For he begins his second chapter by saying now in other words something has already transpired and something else is about to begin it's a favorite word whenever you read the book of Matthew you will find that particular word numerous times it highlights a new idea that he is directed to now, he said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In other words, the events of that first night recorded in Luke chapter 2 has come and gone. 
And now is a new event in the life of this one born king of the Jews. Matthew obviously is writing about the kingdom. And so he is the one who speaks about kings and the kingdom. The other, uh, I guess, traditional thought is that there were only three wise men, three magi. That in and of itself can, is not even anywhere listed in the scriptures as being a fact. In, in, real, in reality, there would have never been individuals known as wise men to travel by themselves. Specifically, just three. Understand that the journey that they took was 900 miles. They did not board a 747. They boarded camels. <laughs> and they would have had an entourage with them. First of all, they would have had servants as they, the office that these individuals held, I doubt that they cooked for themselves. There were no Turkey Hills. There were no uh, other mini markets along the way whereby they could stop and get a can of Chef Boyardee macaroni and cheese. They had supplies that needed to be brought with them. They had servants. And the office that they held also would entail the fact that there had to be soldiers for protection that would have gone with them. For they would have traveled, if you will, some routes that would have been known to be opportunities for thieves and robbers to be there. Of course, this entourage was not coming empty-handed. To not spoil the end of this account, they were carrying gold and frankincense and myrrh. Very expensive, if you will, gifts. They would have been easy targets for thieves and robbers. So they would have not traveled without protection. And so when we see that as we sang the song even this morning, we three kings, number one, they weren't kings, they were magi. <laughs> and there weren't probably three. There could have been a large content continuum, if you will, of individuals that would come from a land to Jerusalem. But with that being said, the passage that we've just read introduces us to an interesting question. And the question goes something like this. Would you worship or will you worship the newborn king? There are individuals in this passage. If you follow along the rules of grammar, you come to understand that you have who, what, when, where, how, and why. The who, the main, if you will, is not the Magi. It is not Herod. It is not the chief scribes 
or chief priests or scribes. The who is still, where is he that is born king of the Jews? It's Jesus Christ. The minor who's, if there is such a thing in who land, the, the minor who's would be the individuals we just spoke of. They are playing a part in this particular narrative to draw us to the question, would we or will you worship the newborn king? I've taken the time of this particular study and dissect, if you will, the phrases that are in this particular narrative. And I'm looking at the verbs. The verbs are actions. But the actions of the wise men, the magi, are focused on one issue and one issue alone, worship. What is worship? Worship is described for us, as Warren Wiersbe states, the fact that worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and says and does. Our response to who we are is relative to who we know and believe God to be. Worship. I've dissected it, if you will, into three uh, particular points that I wish to point out to you. And the first one is this. And true worship is the fruit of a life pursuing the Savior. Because Jesus is the supreme leader. We get that thought, or at least I got that thought, from the first two verses of this chapter. For it says that we saw his star in the east. And we have come to worship him. But there's an interesting phrase. They say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? It didn't say in that, where is he that is born to become the king of the Jews? The moment that Jesus Christ, from eternity, all of a sudden became available in time, he is king. He always was, he always is, and he always will be king of kings and lord of lords. And there was never a time when he wasn't. There'll never be a time when he won't be. And so when the Magi said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? They spoke correctly. Mortal men who are born become kings through time, through teachings, through events of their lives. All of a sudden, they are able to usurp an area of authority known as king. Jesus isn't that way. He didn't need time. He didn't need events. 
And the wise men, as we said before, speak correctly. Where is he who is born king? He is the embodiment. He is the picture of the king. But when we look at this life of pursuing the Savior in worship, the two verbs I wish to highlight are the ones where he said, for we have seen his star. And we have come to worship. There's great speculation concerning these magi, these wise men. Where are they from? I believe that as most writers have conferred with me, they called me the other day and said, Doug, what do you think? I set them straight. No, not really. They would have been individuals that would have come from a land that at one time was the power of the world known as Babylon. What is interesting in that is that in the early days of the Babylonian Empire, specifically under Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and then came the Medes and Persians, there was an individual by the name of Daniel. Daniel was in there influencing them with a very worship of God, the true God. Magi are listed in Daniel chapter 2. It's Nebuchadnezzar's first dream that he has, the dream of the Colossus that he called individuals who serve him and it was their chore that they were to not only tell him what the dream was and then to then give the interpretation of the dream and you know the story they all said will you tell us the dream and then we'll tell you what it means and Nebuchadnezzar knew that they would just tell him what he wanted to hear and so he said no 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 you tell me the dream but in there, the ones that he called, there's this wonderful word called astrologers. Astrologers would have been magi. They looked to the stars. They studied the constellations. They were the ones who could tell whether they're in the midst of coming out of one season going into another season because the star formations shift in the heavens as the earth tilts on its axis for the introduction of going from spring to summer to fall to winter. They were the ones also who could follow the stars for direction which gives us the understanding that there may not have been maps that would have brought them from wherever they were in Babylon to Jerusalem. So they may have had to travel by night. It was a 900-mile journey. And quite frankly, it took them over a year in that journey. But, at a moment in one evening, they saw something that they had never seen before. 
they referred to it as his star. One that wasn't there before, and all of a sudden, there it is. What star are they referring to? Well, in the Hebrew, this could have referred to a specific constellation. It could have also referred to a grouping, if you will, of, or alignment of different planets. It could have even been a comet. We're not told specifically what it was. All we are told is that they had seen his star. I wonder that as the nation of Israel was held captive in that land for a period of 70 years, not all of them came out of that land. Remember our study? Oh, please help me. Remember our study in Ezra and Nehemiah? Please, someone shake their head yes. Remember, not all of them came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. So individuals stayed in that land. And they may have heard stories over time concerning this one named Balaam. If you go to Numbers chapter 24, in chapter 24, Balaam it gives his fourth blessing to the nation of Israel. Balak wants Balaam to curse Jerusalem or Israel, but Balaam, and this is his fourth blessing, and he says in verse 7 that out of Judah there will be a star that will come. Them seeing this, his star, may have remembered that. For referred to a king, a scepter will rise in Jerusalem. They had seen the star. But they also had come. You see, true worship causes us to pursue after the Savior. We don't come, become satisfied with just head knowledge. Did you catch it that the chief priests and the scribes, they knew where the Christ was to be born. In fact, they gave that information to Herod. He is to be born in Bethlehem. And that's all. There was no inkling of them to pursue after you would at least conjecture the fact that, uh, why, Herod, why did you ask that question? No. All we see here is that, oh, you want to know where, it's going to, where he's going to be born? In Bethlehem. Okay, what are we going to do the rest of the day? They had no desire to pursue. Why didn't they go? Why didn't they say to these magi, we'll go with you. It comes to my mind what John wrote in the Gospel of John chapter 1. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They weren't of any interest. They didn't want to pursue the Savior. They themselves were not interested in worshiping 
the Christ who is to be born in Bethlehem. We have come to worship. Anything that is worthwhile, anything that's got your attention, you will pursue to accomplishment. I minister in a group that hunts deer. <laughs> and I hear stories of you being out in the woods for hours. Whether you come away empty-handed one day makes no bearing. I'm out there the next day. Waiting for that right deer to come by. You pursue it because it means something to you. I came from a previous church where one of the ladies of that church every Saturday had her Saturday mapped out for lawn sales. She knew exactly where she was going to begin and when she was going to end. It was all mapped. It's an amazing feat. But that which you're interested in, you will pursue. When the Magi saw his star, nothing else mattered. Pack up, boys. We're heading west. From Babylon to Jerusalem, they would have moved west 900 miles, and they were not satisfied until they finally arrived at Herod's palace. We, on the other hand, though we may not have 900 miles, but we have millennia of information. Do we really pursue after the king as we read the scriptures? Pursuing the Savior is part of worship. The second part is this, is that a life that is dedicated to the Savior. Because Jesus is the supreme ruler. Dedicated to the Savior. The three verbs that caught my attention are come from the first set come from Herod himself when he said, go and search. Search diligently. Search carefully for him. And the second one is when they heard the king, it says they departed. In other words, they didn't stay where they got the information they went to where the information told them to go. Bethlehem. How often do we read a passage or we read a verse and, oh, I've heard that before, but it never brings about a change in our lives. We're satisfied to stay where we are. A life of worship is one that is dedicated to the Savior because not only 
do we go and search, if you will, diligently or depart? But you'll notice they rejoiced greatly. For, for when they left Herod's palace, came out and took a left-hand turn onto the main street of Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was six miles. Obviously did not take them as long as the 900-mile trek, but it didn't lose any of its power. For it says when they came out and headed toward Bethlehem, all of a sudden the star appeared again to them. And they rejoiced with great joy. When you are dedicated to seeking God, God will openly reward you by revealing his glory. I really feel that we lose the wonder and glory of our God because we're willing to stay put in our lives instead of pursue on with our lives, dedicated to the Savior. What's interesting about that phrase that the star reappeared gives us the indication that from the time they saw his star, to the time that they got to Jerusalem, the star didn't shine. The particular star that reappeared, there's your key, it reappeared to them, went and stood over where the young child was. If the star continually shined, they would not have stopped at Herod's house. They would have gone directly to Bethlehem. Because that's where the star would have stopped. And so from the night sky for the 900 mile journey that took them most likely over a year. They did what they normally do. They read the stars and followed their way to where they needed to go. God wants to reveal his glory for us, dear people, in the everyday life that we live. He's not asking you to do anything other than what he has already equipped you to do. And if you are dedicated to him, even in that everyday pursuit of life, he will reveal his glory. In other words, being a, a custodian, you can still sing to the honor and glory of God as you're cleaning toilets. As a housewife, as a mother of young children, you can still sing to the honor and glory of God even when the children are pulling on your skirts. Those working in the workforce, you can still honor and glorify God even when things 
don't go right for that day. But if you dedicate it, a life dedicated to the Savior because Jesus Christ is supreme, I guarantee you that even in the dark days you will see His glory. And the last is this. True worship is the fruit of a life that is humbled in His presence. Because Jesus is the supreme ruler. There are three verbs that highlight this. Notice it says, and when they had come into the house. Can you imagine what that must have looked like in Bethlehem that day? This entourage coming into this small little town. It's described, Bethlehem, though you are the smallest, but out of you become a king. They came into that town. Talk about a Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. But they didn't stay outside the house. They went into the house. And then they fell and worshipped him. Worshipped has the... The truth that they, they didn't bow their heads and close their eyes and say, thank you, God, for bringing it. No, they fell to their face, to the ground. They totally prostrated themselves before this child. But I find it interesting is that Jesus did not do a miracle for them to recognize who he was. He didn't perform some great feat. Most likely at this age, most maybe between a year old and two years old, he's just starting to say, Mama. He didn't speak wisdom. He didn't run around the room. But they fell and worshipped him because they knew he was the one. All because God established it that way. They worshipped him. And then they presented their gifts. We've quoted that verse so many times in the last few years, but Romans 12.1 is very, very clear yet. Therefore, present yourselves as living sacrifices unto God, for that's our reasonable service of worship. They presented their gifts. Obviously, we know what they are. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, obviously, is the, the gift given to kings. Solomon, in his temple, had gold all over the place. 
Gold is the emblem of kings. Frankincense is a little bit different. Frankincense would have been used in the temple worship, mixed with oil. For some of the feasts, they would use it, but it was also used to anoint the priests who would minister in the temple. But the last one is the interesting one, myrrh. In some ways, giving myrrh to somebody could be taken as almost a slap in the face. Myrrh was used to anoint dead people. It would have been wrapped, it would have been placed in the wrappings of the people who would be put into the tombs. It was there, as Mary and Martha said, because he stinketh. And yet they gave it to Jesus, this child. Their gifts were gifts of faith, by the way. Obviously, he is the king of the Jews, gold. Frankincense. He's our high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. Myrrh, yes. He's our sacrifice. But as we finish, I give to you that you have those three gifts to give to this master. I start at the last one first, myrrh. We all carry that. Myrrh is indication that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are dead. In and of our own selves, we are sinners through and through. And when we come and bring our myrrh, if you will, to the Savior, the King of Kings, we are literally saying, I have no hope. My only hope is in you who have paid my price that you would die for my sin. Frankincense, we also carry that. We mix it with our lives, if you will. We mix it in such a way that not that we are anointed as priests, though Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We understand that. But in reality, incense for us is that it's our desire that all that we say and all that we do brings honor and glory to our high priest. And then we bring our gold. Not much, not many of us have gold unless you have that in your portfolio. But we still have gold in our lives. And we bring it and we lay it at the king and we say to him, you are king and Lord 
of my life. And we too can worship if we humble ourselves before God. But there is one more phrase that's kind of interesting. It says that they departed and went to their land another way. They were warned by an angel not to go back to Herod, and so they departed and went another way. That phrase alone draws us to the conclusion of what happens when we worship Jesus Christ. They didn't go back to the old way. They didn't go back to Jerusalem to tell Herod. They didn't go back to the scribes and to the chief priests and say, you guys were right, he was born in Bethlehem. We saw him. They didn't go back to the old way. They went another way. When we worship the king, all of a sudden, our life changes. We're not satisfied with the old way. We pursue a new way. I trust that Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, is a little bit different this year, causing us to think about pursuing the Savior because he's worth it dedicated to the Savior because he's worth it. Humbling ourselves to the Savior because he's worth it. And may I say this, dear people, that is what worship is. Let's pray. And grant, O oh God, please, the impartation of your word to our lives. And throughout this coming week, Dear Lord God, may we not only just wish people a happy new year, but also, Lord, worship and adore you every day. For you are worth it. You are the supreme king of all. I want to thank you and praise you in your name. Amen.